morning, everybody. So glad to have you on the first Sunday of 2018. So by a show of hands, let me uh, kick it off by asking, how many of you have already decided that there is something you're going to start or stop in 2018? Anybody? Something I'm starting, something I'm stopping. Yes, yes. Uh, put your hands down. Uh, good luck. <laughs> uh, hey, I, I, I say beyond good luck, this, this whole series uh, that we're kicking off for, for three weeks is called Uphill Habits. But I want you to know it's way more, it's way more than something to start or something to stop. And so as we, as we go in a little bit more today, uh, please know it's, it's not just about what you could ever do. Uh, it's not about all the strength you could muster up. It's not about putting all of your priorities in, in, in line and making sure that you, uh, you know, if you don't, uh, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. You know, that was the, the front of our ninth grade journal at our school, uh, you know, when I, went, when I was a freshman. If you, plan, if you fail to plan, you if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. It's way beyond just having a plan. There, there's some critical pieces. But as we jump in, I hope that what you're planning on starting, what you're planning on stopping, something you're planning on doing more of, something you know you got to do less of, maybe you're just looking for a fresh start. Thank you, Jesus, for 2018. But can I just tell you something? You don't got to wait till the January. You don't got to wait for New Year's resolutions. His mercies are new every morning. His faithfulness is great. His love never ceases. And so whether it's the first Sunday in January or it's the third Sunday in September, God's good and he's got a good plan for your life. But when it comes to habits, truth is we want to make some, we want to break some. We got some good ones, we got some bad ones. But really it culminates in, in a couple of statements. In fact, take your worship guide, flip it over. There's some fill in the blanks. We are known as the blankety-blank church to some people uh, because, of, because of the blanks. Uh, but uh, why do we do this? Why do I take the extra time to, to put the, the blanks together? Um, because it's one thing just to, to hear a sermon on Sunday. But truth be told, uh, a sermon on Sunday, uh, if you add up the words I speak over 52 weeks, it's about 340,000 words a year. You hear, on average, according to the New York Times, about 36,500,000 words total in a year. So when you take 36,500,000 words and you realize that on church on Sunday morning a message uh, from, from the word of God from your pastor is only 340, that's less than 1% of what you're hearing in a year. And so in order to help deepen that and we give you the scripture references we give you the the slides on the screen to see the scripture not just hear the scripture we, we give you the fill in the blanks so that you can take that worship guide and let it be a resource throughout the week that you can come back to it if this is the only time you pay attention and some of you I mean I'm giving you more credit anyway this is just good nap time for you but if you if this is the only time that you're paying attention to the message and not reflecting or thinking about what God wants to say to us as a church throughout the week, then I think you're going to miss part of what God has for you. So I encourage you, let, let a habit in the new year be taking notes when we talk on Sunday mornings. But when it comes to new habits, the old philosophy is we are what we repeatedly do. We are what we repeatedly do. If you repeatedly get up in the morning and go to the gym... And tan, you are what you repeatedly do. There's a reason why workout, we call it reps. It's repetition. It's repeatedly. Uh, you are what you repeatedly do. If you repeatedly overeat, you are what you repeatedly do. If you fly off the handle... Over and over and repeatedly, you are known as someone that flies off the handle. We are what we repeatedly do. Another way to say it is this, write it down. We form habits and then our habits form us. And so the habits that, that started small, it started with something. It started, you know, maybe like me uh, <laughs> behind the church was when I had my first cigarette. Behind the church three years ago. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Way back, way back, way back, way back, way back. Actually, I, I, I haven't smoked a cigarette in seven years. Huh? Yeah. That's a, it's, it's been since like I was 14. I was kidding. Okay. But, but uh, the, 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 
the deal is like it started small. It was something. It was just kind of there. And, and all of a sudden, that little habit became something that, that like controls when you, when you take a break, when you eat, when you drink, what you've got going on, where you are before you get on an airplane. You know the power of forming a habit, and then that habit can form you. That, that's just one example of just a habit. Uh, the, the way we talk the way we treat one another, how we spend our time in a week, we form those habits, and then before we know it, our habits have formed us. That's why we're taking this moment, and we're going to take these next three weeks and talk about uphill habits. Because the truth is, and everybody needs to get this today, everything, in fact, say it out loud with me, will you? Everything, it sure is. It is not a coast when it comes to marriage. There's, there's, there's struggle in it because everything worthwhile is uphill. Uh, to eat right, to do the right things, to, to, to prioritize the most important pieces, everything worthwhile is uphill. And the truth is we just celebrated at Christmas time the greatest gift we have when we're on an uphill journey, and that is Emmanuel, God with us. The three most powerful words in Christmas time is God with us. And when we're talking about uphill habits, that can be a little daunting. That can be a little jarring because maybe you're right back where you were. Or, or, or maybe you, you started strong and you, 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 at least you started strong but you didn't finish strong. And, 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 and you are downhill now. Or it's felt like you've been stuck. Or you're in neutral. And everything worthwhile is uphill but God is with you in the journey. And so although, yeah, if I were to say, as your pastor, which basically means shepherd, which basically makes me kind of a tour guide for you when it comes to your spiritual lives of Tim, at Timber Creek Church, as a tour guide, I want to I show you a journey. I want to invite you on a deeper journey with Jesus. And Jesus invites us onto a journey, but it is an uphill climb, a narrow road, but he's with us in the journey. That's what makes it possible. That's what makes it doable is that he's always with us. And I want to I invite you to let 2018 be the year of no more excuses. Ah, I've been there, done that, tried that, just is what it is. I just am who I am. You know, I, you know I just, um, I've just kind of resigned myself to the fact that this is the way I'm always going to be. No more excuses. God is with you. Let's take an uphill journey together as a church, as a people of God, as someone that maybe you're here and you're decided that I'm going to get back into church and you're here for the first time or the first time in a long time. Take the journey together. Take, let, let's, let's go. By the end of this year, if you walk with us, if we walk together uphill to what God has for us, every single one of us to our right, to our left, in front of us, behind us, and you sitting right there in that seat, we're going to be different people for the good, for, for, for the better, for the more godly, for the more, for the more set apart for him, if we'll take the uphill journey. No more excuses, right? Look at the person next to you say, no more excuses. It's like the guy who got stopped by the Lufkin PD the other day, and the cop comes up to the, to the door, his license and registration. He'd been swerving all over the road, and, and, and the, 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 the police officer says, hey, I, I want you to take this, we're going to take this breathalyzer test. And the guy says, oh, no, no, no I, I, uh, I'm asthmatic. If I, if I do that, I could go into shock. I could have a, a huge attack. So, okay, well, let's go down to the station. We'll take a... Uh, we'll take a blood test. Oh, no, I, I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I'm a hemophiliac as well. And, and if, you, if, you, if I start bleeding, I won't stop. And I could bleed to death right there at the station. So, okay, well, what about a urine sample? I'm diabetic and the sample won't be exactly, the, 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 the sample won't be right. It'll have a wrong reading. So well, why don't you get out and just walk the line? And I can't do that. I'm drunk. And, and <laughs> you know. It's like, no more, no more excuses, everybody. <laughs> okay? You got, it's, like, it's like you got to stop and you got to say, yes, it's uphill and yes, it's tough. But God help me because that's really what it's about. God help me. We're going to do this together. Amen? So, so when it comes to taking this journey, most people have uphill hopes. They hope things go well. They hope to shoot for the stars. They hope to get that raise. They hope to be better. They hope to live longer. They hope to be healthier. But downhill habits and hope ain't a strategy. Hope is a feeling, but it's not a strategy. And we have to have hope to make it to the future. But downhill habits are going to keep us the same. Whether you have hope or not, 
We have to have those right habits. So as we take the journey uphill, here are three prerequisites. Like before we even start the journey, uh, the shoes we got to put on, the backpack we got to pack, the, the necessities we need for the journey are, are, are three and very simple. But as we already mentioned, one of them is hope for your future. Do, do you know what the number one killer of marriages is? It, it is not. It's not arguments. It's not criticism, it's not nagging, it's not, it's not a lack of quality time. You know what kills marriage? It's not an affair. Here's what kills marriages. Apathy. When you get to the point where you simply just say, I don't care anymore. Because God can fix anything. God can mend anything. But when we become apathetic or we say, who cares? When we have apathy in our heart, a marriage, a relationship, a relationship with God, relationship with one another, those relationships suffer and die when there's apathy. And so hope for the future says we're going to get there. Hope for the future says, man, I am mad at you. I'm mad, I'm mad at you, Jeremy. Pastor Jeremy. But I got hope for the future because I know this isn't just who you are. And I love you enough to take this journey with thank you. Thank you for taking this journey this far with me. But if we were apathetic and we just said, who cares? I don't care how this makes you feel. When I say those words, I don't care if that wounds you or not. I'm just going to say what I want to say and I'm going to go on and it is what it is. That's what kills relationships. So hope for the future Hope for the future gives us a glimmer, a, a sign uh, saying we're, we're not done. It's like that rope that's thrown when you feel like you're out in the middle of the ocean drowning. It's that rope. The rope hope is a rope. <laughs> and it connects us to what God has next. You know, there's this beautiful moment where Jesus is with the disciples. They're going to travel around Samaria. That's what the disciples want to do, but it's a shortcut. Uh, but the disciples were willing to go around Samaria because they didn't like Samaritans. They were, it was, it was racism to, to the nth degree. It was a prejudice. It, it, it was um, this uh, hatred over the Samaritans that the Jews had and the Samaritans had for the Jews. It was, it was ugly and awful. And Jesus steps right in the middle of that political, real heart issue. And he walks in, and then, then he has a conversation at a well in Samaria with a woman we only know as the Samaritan woman. Not only was he showing, I'm willing to deal with racism in the right way, but he was also talking about the, 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 uh, uh, the inequality or the lack of respect and honor and value that women had in that day. Women weren't even to be talked to by a man. It just, they just did not have the same value structure in, in that time of our history. And so Jesus, not only does he break the racial deal, he talks to a woman. And if you look through the Bible, it's the longest recorded conversation Jesus has in all of the Gospels. With someone who we, that he ought to never have talked to, with a woman he ought to never have talked to. But God has a way of getting into our business and showing us this is the real way to live. And he's sitting there at the, at, with the Samaritan woman at the well. He asks for a drink. And, and she starts talking to him. And she's like, man, I, I, I'd love to have... Uh, some of your water and, and uh, he says well go get your husband and, and we'll, I'll, I'll give you some and, and she goes oh I don't have a husband and he kind of he reads her mail he kind of like Phew. he doesn't get it in an angry way he's like oh I know you don't have a husband uh, uh, uh. It's, it may sound like that if you read it with the wrong fluctuation but he says I know you don't have a husband in fact you've had five and, and the man you're with right now you're, you're not even married to him which by the way when we try and assume that just living together is the same as marriage, that's a biblical sign that we see there that even Jesus recognizes there's a difference between just being together and really honoring God with a marriage ceremony. And I want to invite you, if you ever are at a place where you're living together and you want to get married but you're afraid of financially, we don't know, we want to have a cake, we don't have a church, talk to our team. Call the church office. We'd love for you to make that, make that all official and come before God and the pastor and, and get married. We, we provide that for people. And we've had people on the back porch of their, of their house uh, get married in their, in their living room. You name it just because it's so important to honor God in that way. But here's, here's what Jesus says to the woman who's, who's there, the Samaritan woman. And she doesn't have a lot of hope in her life. 
And here's what he says. Look, look at this in John 4. He says, Jesus, Jesus answers her. If you knew the generosity of God <laughs> and who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink and I'd give you fresh living water. It wouldn't be, I've been asking you for a drink and I'd be like, oh, well, yeah, I'll give you a drink when you get it all figured out with that boy that's not your husband. No, he says, ask me for a drink. I'll give you satisfying waters. I'll give you living waters. Hope for the future. And I, I believe some of you, You've been drawing water from the wrong well. And it's time, it's time to know the generosity of God and dive into him and have hope for the future. You know what? The Bible, a popular verse. How many of you heard this verse before? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. How many of you ever heard that scripture before? Pretty popular one. I know the plans I have for you. It, because especially in a self-centered culture, we love the scriptures that give us hope for the future. We do. But understand that this isn't written for you and for me in the context of, I got big plans for you, buddy boy. It's written to the prophet Jeremiah. It's given to the prophet Jeremiah for a nation of Israel that's in exile. They are in bondage. They are in slavery. They have lost their freedom. And God is reminding those people that are bound up, uh, shackled down, messed up, that I have plans for you. And maybe you are walking into 2018, and even though you don't look like you're bound up, inside you're bound up. You don't, you don't look like someone who's like a Hebrew slave, but you are like a Hebrew slave. You are bound to some stuff. And declares the Lord, he says, I, I have plans for you to prosper beyond that. But it's going to take hope for the future and breaking off of any kind of apathy that might be ruling your heart and mind. Repentance from the past. Repentance is one of those good words that, that I, I, could be preached really hard. Repentance. <laughs> but repentance in and of itself simply means turn. It, it simply means turn and walk another direction. And repentance from the past, some of you walking into 2018, you got in the car and you're trying to drive the car in 2018 looking in the rearview mirror, looking at the past. You ever try to drive a car just while looking in the rearview mirror? You ain't going to drive far, I'm going to tell you right now, until psh, you run over grandma. It's just going to happen. That's how grandma got ran over by a reindeer. Santa was looking in the back rearview mirror, I'm telling you. The windshield is bigger for a reason than the rearview mirror because that's where we got to focus. And repentance from the past, it's time. Some of you, it's time to take a different step. It's time to let it go. You've been harboring that bitterness and that hurt, and it's eating you up from the inside out. And it's time to, to repent from that, even none of yourself, to forgive them and, and, and ask God to forgive you and move forward. Listen, if you've ever been uh, around someone in recovery or you've been to uh, recovery programs, there, there's a, a familiar illustration called you know, My Life in Five Chapters. And it's kind of paraphrase. I'm not quoting it exactly how it goes. But, but basically, there's this illustration called My Life in Five Chapters. Chapter 1, I was walking down a street, and I saw a deep, dark hole, and I fell into that hole. And it took me a long time to get out. Chapter 2, I was walking down a street, and I saw a dark hole, and I fell into that hole again. And it took me a while to get out. Chapter 3. I was walking down the street, and I saw a dark hole, and I avoided it for a while, but I got too close to the hole I fell in, and it took me a while to get out. Chapter 4. I was walking down the street, I saw a hole, and I did whatever it took to avoid that hole. Chapter 5. I walked down another street, <laughs> right? And see, some of you are stuck in chapter 3. You're stuck in chapter 3 of your life. And it's time to walk down another street in 2018. It's time to move forward in 2018 and take another street. But anything worthwhile is uphill. It's uphill. But the scripture says in Philippians 3, Paul says to us, brothers and sisters, don't, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold. He's got issues too. But one thing I do, I'm going to forget what's behind, and I'm going to strain toward what is ahead. I'm going to stop living in the rear view. I'm going to strain towards what is ahead. I'm going to repent from the past and move forward. Finally, it's formation of uphill habits. But when I say formation, you and I, we quickly think of what we do. 
but really it's not what you do. You have a part in the process, but your part is the minuscule part. Your part is like, is like the 90-10. You're the 10%. God's the 90, and we see that in Scripture where it says, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you. And then what? Quickly respond to it. So the attention has to be right. The movement has to be right. And the timing has to be right. But that's the 90-10. That's the 10% of it. Because we see in the rest of the scripture the 90%. Unlike the culture around you dragging you down to its level of maturity, God then brings the best out of you. And as we fix our attention and readily respond and quickly respond and quickly react, God brings the best and he develops that well-formed maturity in you. It's not whatever you could ever do. It's God in you, through you, with you, developing you with well-formed maturity as you fix your attention on him. And so habit number one. I could take this to a point where we're talking about taking our thoughts captive, about forming the right friendships, about choosing to say no to certain things. We could talk about all those habits that, that are very much about what you and I do, but really, you won't get it right. Just hear me on this. Hear your pastor. You won't get it right if you don't get this number one habit down. You may live an okay life. You may live a life that has temporary earthly blessings. But you won't experience all God desires for you to experience and become all God's called you to become if you don't get this habit right, right here. And it's this. Ready? Write it down. Focus on what I do first. Focus on what you do first. Habit number one. What you do first is critical. Focus on what I do first. This past summer, June 10th is Janet and I's anniversary, and it was our 17th anniversary. And about uh, eight to ten weeks before our anniversary, I got this, this harebrained idea, and I sat down with Janet. Of all places, it was Pi 5, and you'll know why in just a second why this is of all places. It's funny. And I was saying, hey. Our anniversary is in like 10 weeks. And I, I got an idea. She's like, what do you got, pumpkin? I just love my wife. She's like so positive like all the time. What you got, sweetness? And I said, okay, 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 here, here you go. W what if for our anniversary, instead of giving each other a gift or doing something, going to a hotel, what if we find some friends and we do an adventure together? We do an experience and, and, on June 10th, our anniversary at AT&T Stadium, Dallas Cowboys. You're a Dallas Cowboys fan, right, Janet? Oh, let's go! Jason, win! I'm like, okay, calm down. I'm your husband right here. I said, what if on our anniversary we did the Spartan race that was through Cowboys Stadium? Spartan race is of the devil, number one, but... No, the Spartan race is this race that you go through all, a few different miles of obstacles and like, yeah, super sexy. <laughs> and, and just like totally like you might as well, it's going to kill you, okay, almost, if you're not ready for it. I said, we got 10 weeks. We got 10 weeks. She's like, are you sure? Are you sure? Because like if it's 10 weeks, like are you going to be doing what it takes? I said, girl. Don't gotta question me. So Janet immediately signs up for like this CrossFit in the morning. Every morning she's doing CrossFit burpees and push-ups and pull-ups. You know, I walk into the house one day and she's just like pulling up on the door frame. What's up? <laughs> Spaghetti's ready. I'm just having lettuce wraps. Mm. And like I started working out with a with a trainer for a little bit and 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 like four weeks before the race, four weeks before the race, Janet's walking in, like, you know, moving the couch and vacuuming. <laughs> and I'm like eating another taco, and she says, hey, are you sure, you, have you been working out? like, don't talk to me right now while I've got a taco in my hand. Yes, I've been working out. And then I'm texting my friend, dude, we, I have got to keep working out. I have gotten out of the habit. So it comes time for... <laughs> the race. 
us and Casey and Sandy and some other friends, Corey and Ashley, some other friends here in the church, they went and we, we, we ran that, that, that race. And, and as you go onto Cowboys Stadium parking lot, there's this huge banner. And, and the banner, like, like you know there's an issue when the banner has blood on it. And before you went, you wanted to stop at Krispy Kremes before you got there, okay? You've got issues. But it says Spartan Race, and here's the tagline. The tagline is nuts. You can see it right there, but it says, you'll know at the finish line. But I knew way before the finish line. As a matter of fact, they give you a little wrist, uh, a little ankle bracelet, and it's got a, uh, it's for, for house arrest. Um, no, it's, it's, a, it's an ankle bracelet, and uh, I was familiar with it because I was on house arrest in high school. But, but it, it, it has a chip in it, and when you cross the starting line, it starts tracking your progress. I think, like, the winner was 30-some minutes, 40-some minutes, something like that. Like, the winner of the whole thing. I think I was, like, two hours and 40-some minutes, maybe three. I'm not for sure. Who's counting? I don't know. Not me. Uh, but my wife was. And, and, uh, but here's what's crazy. Before you even start... I knew I was in trouble. I wasn't about the finish line because to get into the starting corral where you're even at the, the starting front part where they, they, you know, they, they trigger the gun and you go, there's this wall that you have to get over before you even get into the starting corral. And so, you know, I'm, ex I'm, I'm doing my stuff and we walk up and there's, there's this wall. I know you look, I know I look like I'm 6'4 up here on the stage, but but this is a five and a half foot wall. And I walk and I and I and I hate to say that my words are, oh dear God in heaven. I said, I'm gonna have to climb that wall before I even start the race. Now I did it and I looked good doing it. And and I and the team told me, the team told me before first service, Jeremy, this will hold you if you want to try and climb it for everybody. If you want to and, and I came up here in first service, I was about to do it, and I just noticed that I don't think this is gonna hold me if I try and climb it. I think some people on our staff were trying to make a fool of me early on. Okay. But sure enough, I got over it and I landed to start, and I'm like this. <sighs> oh, dear Jesus. And you know what's crazy is I actually did. I didn't compete in it, but I did complete it, everybody. That's right. Hey, good job, Pastor Jeremy. Good, good job. I did complete it. And so did my wife, and so did our friends way, way past us. But, but, but Janet was like, are you ready? Come on. Let's go. Let's go. I'm like, shut up, woman. What's crazy is they have professional photographers taking pictures through the entire race, they only got one shot of me. It ticks me off because you can't even see my face. I was... I was I was climbing the, the, the deal, and I was like, you're not even, you can't even show my face during the, hmm. <laughs> You're laughing too hard. <laughs> Makes me think you don't think that's me. <laughs> Actually, we did finish. This is the only picture I got is Janet finishing, and then there I am. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> barely, barely surviving the, the Spartan race. What am I trying to say? What am I trying to say? I was excited about this idea of an anniversary, <laughs> idea of finishing this deal. And I finished it, and it was ugly, but I finished, bless God. And I didn't want to. And trust me, if you ever do it, it, it is tough. It is tough. And so I was thankful to finish, but I, I think many people are so focused on the obstacles out there all the habits out here, that you're forgetting that before you even start a race, there's a big habit you gotta know. There's a big, there's a big, and it's not an obstacle, it's a beautiful opportunity, but some of us, it, it, it has become an obstacle in our lives. And it's not even really a habit, it's, it's knowledge. It's knowledge of something very important. And here it is, write this down. Because I really believe if you can get this right in 2018, it's the obstacle before the race. 
We, we're always, you know, all of us are pressing towards that goal to win that race. But we haven't even started the race if you haven't gotten this obstacle. If you haven't gotten this habit, number one, you haven't even really started the race. And here is the habit. And it's a statement more than it is a habit. God will only take one place. God will only take one place in your life. He, he will not take any other place in your life but first place. In the words of the absentee father of Ricky Bobby in the Academy Award winning film, Talladega Nights, Reese Bobby, Ricky Bobby's absentee father, says to, to Ricky when he's real young, Ricky, if you ain't first, you're last. And so Ricky grows up his life trying to, to meet the expectations of his father. If you ain't first, you're last. What, what a knucklehead earthly father. But see, our heavenly father starts us really young, and he says it like this. If I ain't first, I'm not really God. If he ain't first in your life, he's not really God in your life. The whole statement is God of all or not God at all. If he's not first, he is not God to you. Because only God in heaven, the creator of the cosmos, the person who placed a soul in that physical body of yours, God deserves no other place but first place. And if he ain't first, he ain't really God. And there's so many things that take the place of first in our lives. The way I feel, the way I love, the way I think, popular opinion of what other people think about me. So I'm not willing to make that change or say that statement or do that thing or walk away from that because what would they say? What would they think? What will they do? Those things become first. And God will only take one place in our lives. And he doesn't bust through the wall to take first. I mean, he conquered hell and the grave. What more do you want him to bust through? But he will let you put him in another place if you want to. But any other place besides first really relegates him to becoming no God at all. Are you hearing me this morning? It's so critical that God be first in our lives. And here's the deal. He doesn't just say it, make me first. He models what he expects. He models what, we, what he expects. When the Hebrew children were in slavery uh, in Egypt and by miracles of God, they are exodus. In the book of Exodus, you can read that story. They, they're exodus out of Egypt. Then they begin to lay out, carve out a civilization. And every civilization has to have a set of rules, a set of, uh, of guardrails to, to live by. And he begins the whole set of rules, a set of, uh, of God-blessed guidelines by this scripture, and, and the scripture says this, God spoke all these words, I'm the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and then he gives us the first of the Ten Commandments. And the first of the Ten Commandments is, you shall have no other gods before me. Little G's, anything that goes before God is a little God in your life. It doesn't have to be a totem pole made of clay that you go, ha, 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 ho, ha. Anything you put before God is a God. That's the God you have created. The God, the God that takes first place, that is your mind, your will, your emotions, your flesh, your hormones, your, your identity, your, your thought process, your relationship, your wants and desires and needs, all of that, if placed before God, becomes a God. And he says, I'm not just going to tell you, put more gods, don't put any gods before me. Look what he says in the scripture ahead. I brought you out. See, I acted first. In matter of fact, I put you first. Put me first. I brought you out first. Now you put me first. He models what he expects. 
But look at this, Proverbs 19. Some people ruin themselves by their own stupid actions, and then they blame the Lord. They don't put him first. They put other things first, and then they're mad at God because God didn't heal their grandma. And just because you put God first doesn't mean that grandma's always healed when you ask. But if God only becomes the go-to when you need something and not the God of all that's first place, no matter whether you're asking him for something or whether you're just following him daily, people, they ruin themselves by their own stupid actions, and then they blame the Lord when things don't go the way they want to go. But God models what he expects. Remember the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, the first four words. You know the first four words of the Bible? Say it with me. In the, those are the first four. In the beginning, God. So, in the beginning, God. We see at the very beginning of Scripture, the importance of God is at the first of this deal. It's all about him. And I think that this could be a life motto for us in 2018. In the beginning of anything you do, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, before I lose control of my temper, before I walk down a path that feels good at the time, but it's going to lead to destruction, before I just like blaze, blaze that statement out at the top of my thumbs on Facebook, because I'm just ticked off, in the beginning, God, what a life motto. If he's not first, he just isn't really God in your life. Number two, if we can recognize that he'll only take first place, when we put that there, when we see the realization that that is the first habit that we need to hurdle, the one that we need to go uphill on, that he deserves nothing more than first, he deserves nothing less than first place in our lives, then we give God the first of everything. We give him the first. He doesn't even ask you for everything. He just says, give me the first of everything. Give me the, give me the first of everything. And look, a tithe is 10%, the first 10% of everything. He says, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And now listen to me. We've already received the offering today. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to try and get you to give today, okay? We already received the offering. But this is way beyond money, everyone. This is way beyond money. A tithe of what? Everything. It's like it ought to be the first, because if it ain't first, he ain't really God. A tithe of everything from the land. It's holy to the Lord. Later, we discover that it's not about just giving that tithe, that 10% of income, that, that 10% of your time, that, 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 that dedication of everything to the Lord. It's really Deuteronomy, the Bible says, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God in first place in your life. It's not about receiving more finances for the church. It's about you and you alone. Now, the ministry of the church goes forward. The expansion of God's kingdom is, is financed by people being faithful with the tithe. But really, it's not about financing the kingdom of God moving forward. Because God owns it all anyway. And he's, he wants his church to move forward. Whether you're faithful with the tithe or not, he's going to advance his kingdom forward. That's the beautiful thing about God. But it's not about him. Like, if you don't tithe, the, the, the kingdom of God won't advance. It's for your benefit. Put him in first place. God, take everything of me except my wallet. Take everything of me except my priorities. Take everything of me except what I like and what I love and what I do. But if he ain't first, he's not really God. He models what he expects. So in the beginning, God, in Genesis, then in Revelation, we read all this imagery about the end of days and the end times and, and the second coming of Christ. And, and there's this imagery that, that is used about uh, uh, the enemy and the devil uh, where they worship the beast, if, if you will. And, and there's a scripture in Revelation, in Revelation 13, all the people who belong to this world, they worship the beast. The, the, the scripture goes on to say, now look at this. They were the ones, the ones who worship the devil worshiped the enemy. They were the ones whose names were not written in the book of life that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered. We're talking about Jesus who was sacrificed, Jesus who was crucified. The lamb who was slaughtered before the world was what? Made. Now, Jesus wasn't crucified before the world was made. Jesus was, was, was crucified um, after hundreds and a few thousand years of, 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 of life as we know it, this kind of civilization. But before the world was made, 
there was already intention. He modeled what he expects. He had already in his mind that the first thing that God would do to make things right with the world is he would give the most valuable treasure that he had, his one and only son. And we see here that Jesus is that tithe, that first fruit. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Do you see the pattern that the first is so important to God? Why is the first important to God? Because he gave his first and very best to us. The very least we can do is give our first attention and focus and habits to him. But seek what? First, his kingdom and his righteousness. And these things will be given to you as well. What are the things he's talking about? Shelter, water, food, necessities. Seek first his kingdom. Don't seek first the paycheck. Don't seek first the stuff. Don't seek first the applause. Don't seek first the fame. Don't seek first the other things. Don't seek first the, 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 the physical feel goods. Seek him first and all the other things will be added to you. So the first of my year, write it down. The first of my year belongs to the Lord. All the year belongs to the Lord, but there's something special about giving him the first. And that's why January is a beautiful time for the church to come together and unified as one body, put him first. How do we put him first? How do we put him first? We put him first through prayer and also through fasting. Fasting is where we give stuff up we like for stuff we like even more. Prayer is simply talking to God. Aren't you glad that God didn't make this like Rubik's Cube process of talking to him? That you don't have to try and get it all together and get all the colors to match before you can just say, God, (laughs) our Father who art in heaven, he gives us a simple process to approach him. And so I'm inviting us as a church, as your tour guide for 2018 from the spiritual side of life. I'm inviting you to give in the first of your year. And it starts with 21 days of prayer and fasting. And we're going to start together as a church, not on January 1, because we're already seven days late on that, aren't we? But to start January 10th. And I wasn't going to ask you to start today, January 7th, because that's like a, whoa, that's intense to like start right now. Go home and clean out your pantry and just fast everything like, like, or, or just start praying without a plan. We want to help you. We want to help our church succeed together in this fasting. So we're starting together Wednesday of this week, January 10th. And we're going to kick this whole thing off on Wednesday by, first of all, Monday and Tuesday of this week on Facebook. I'm going to give an eight-minute Bible study and give you some tools and, and, and tips on how to make the most of your prayer life and what fasting is all about. And you can tune in. It'll be at 8 p.m., 8 minutes at 8 p.m. on Monday and Tuesday, the 8-minute Bible study to give you some tools on starting your fast, starting prayer. But the m- most important thing, now listen to me, everybody lean in on this. One thing I'm asking all of us to do, if you love this church, If you love Jesus, if you desire to put him first, I'm urging you to make the sacrifice in your schedule. Make the time in your schedule and be here on these Wednesday nights, January 10, 17, and 24 at 7 p.m. right here. We will have the whole band out here with worship and time of prayer I'm going to give some devotional moments where we're writing some prayers down, where we're going to receive prayer. If you need prayer, we're going to receive communion together. I'm going to talk about encountering God face to face, just with pieces mixed in with times of of praise music and worship music. We're going to do some of our new songs, and we're going to reach down and do some old songs, and we're just going to have a time of one hour of just worship and prayer, and I'm inviting you to make the most of the first of your year by being a part of these three Wednesday nights before we kick off groups, which is where, where, where real community happens at Timber Creek, to be a part of these Wednesday nights in January. But then, when it comes to fasting and prayer, when it comes to fasting and prayer, there's this moment where a man who's got a sick child, and it was way beyond sickness, it was, it was uh, there was like oppression on the child. The demonic stuff, just like spiritual, like deep stuff, stuff you can't explain. And, and he takes his son to the disciples to be, to be prayed over and healed. And this dad goes to Jesus and says, I took, I took the son and they couldn't do anything and he's the same. And Jesus' response 
is, again, not slapping them in the face with the belt. He's not, not reading this in a way of like, oh, unbelieving and perverse generation. It's a broken heart wherein he's saying this. And he says, oh, unbelieving and perverse generation. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And what happens is the boy comes to Jesus and he's immediately healed. Well, we see these two words, unbelieving and perverse. Those two words are, 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 are basically, you can write them down. When we're unbelieving, we are not connected to God. The more we are connected to God, his mercies are new every morning. His faithfulness is great. His love never ceases. The more we're connected to God, we see of his mercies. We see of his grace. We see of his kindness. We see of his forgiveness. But as we stay unconnected, we become unbelieving. We, we begin to doubt whether he really loves us or cares for us or not. We begin to doubt that his way may be the best way for us, and we assume maybe our way is a little bit better because it makes more sense to me. But then the word perverse is too connected to the world. A perverted way of thinking is disconnected to God and too connected to the things of the world. And so he's basically saying, you that are unconnected to me and way too connected to the world, you're, you're missing it. And he goes on to give this scripture because the disciples come to him in private and they say, why couldn't we drive out that demon and that child? And he replies, because you've got little faith. And it's not about the amount of faith. He goes on to say, look, 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 I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. But then he goes on and gives us the key. This kind though, this kind of stuff, stuff you're dealing with here. That doesn't go out except by prayer and fasting. So it's not just about having authority and faith. There are certain things in our lives that deserve you connecting with God on a consistent basis and fasting, disconnecting. In other words, you can write it down in your notes. Prayer connects us to God and fasting disconnects us from the world. So what are the kind of fasts that we're going to be doing as a church? Well, in the Bible, what we read is we read of a complete fast. You may just want to jot these down in your notes. They're not filling the blanks. But there's a complete fast where it's like what Jesus did when he walks into ministry after being baptized in the Jordan River. Forty days he fasted and he was just water only. It was just water. That's a complete fast. That's like the most biblical form of fast. But there are other types of fasting and sacrifices that we see through Scripture. We, see, uh, uh, we also see uh, selective fasts. This is kind of like where we get what we call the Daniel fast. Where in the book of Daniel, they gave up meats and sweets and breads, what the other mil uh, uh, military was eating. And they were stronger than the other military because they were giving up certain things. That's a Daniel fast where you give up, you know, no sweets, no bread, no meats, no fun. <laughs> um, I'm kidding. If you can have fun and not eat that. But, but like, it, it's, it's serious. It's serious. And can I just tell you right off the bat, we didn't do 21 days of prayer last year. And I was convicted all year over it. And I said to our team in November, we're going to make up for it. <laughs> and we're going to do 21 days of prayer and fasting in January. And we're also going to do 21 days of prayer and fasting in August. Um, we're going to do 21 days of prayer in August. We'll do, we'll do prayer and feasting in August, okay? And we'll do prayer and fasting in January, okay? Does that sound good? But, but we're, we're, we're going to put God first through prayer and fasting at Timber Creek Church. There's too much on the line. There's too much on the line in your life, in the life of this church, in the advancement of the kingdom of God for us not to put him first. So selective fast is maybe saying I'm not going to drink Cokes or, or I'm going to give this up or I'm just going to stop. You know, I'm no more cauliflower all month of January. It's out. Done. Not going to eat it. Okay. Partial fast. That would be where it's just a time of the day where you would eat and maybe you would give up uh, breakfast and lunch and only eat supper. Like the, the Jews celebrated, they, they, they participated in sunup and sundown fasts where uh, the sun would rise, they would not eat until the sun would set. And, and maybe that's something that, that, that you'll choose. I, I'm not going to regulate what you're choosing, but I'm asking if you love this church and you want Jesus to be first and you consider yourself someone who wants to put God first in your life, do something. Do something. Pray and fast and fast something. Maybe it's not even the food related. Maybe it's this. It's a soul fast. What is a soul fast? A soul fast is basically evaluating what comes into your mind, evaluating what you leverage your emotions on, evaluate what consumes your thoughts, 
and begin to fast certain elements. So like I can tell you that, that like many people, the smartphone and Facebook and the videos and the stuff, how quickly that can consume our life. Do you know the average child that is a teenager has 53 hours a week on a smartphone? 53 hours a week on a smartphone. Like 40-hour work job, oh, 40 hours. 53 hours on the smartphone. We, we, we need to see what's first in our lives. And I'm, not, and I'm not innocent. I'm not innocent. That phone, alarm goes off. I use it as my alarm. One of the first things I can do, and maybe you're guilty too. Your phone goes off, it's your alarm. One of the first things people do nowadays, they check something on Facebook. They check the email. They check and they've got their phone in their hand before they've even gotten out of bed. Am I speaking to anybody? Don't raise your hand. It's okay because a lot of us are guilty and you're not alone and it's all right, okay? You walk down that road, you fell into that pit, and you spent three hours on social media. I'm inviting you to take a fast with me and our pastoral team and our deacon team and really dedicate our time to the Lord. I got to hurry and finish up. Not only am I asking us, and God is asking of us to give the first of our year, the first of everything, but another way we show that is the first of our month. Like the beginning of the month, I invite you to, to, really, to really think through what your month should look like, what your budget should look like. Jan and I, our very best months and our very best weeks are when we sit together on Sundays and we have, yes, we have a scheduled meeting where it's a family meeting. It's just us. And what we're talking about is the family. And we're talking about, we're talking about what we're doing in the future. We're, we're looking at our budget. We're making sure that we're where we need to be on our finances. At the beginning of the month, we have that meeting. And at the first of the month, we have that meeting. We make sure we've already, we've already scheduled in our, in our tithing, our giving, that, that out of, out of uh, uh, the checks that come into the church, the tithe, the 10%, that it, it's, it's scheduled for the 31st. So we know that, that it, it's the first thing that comes out in the first, of the first of the month. Because we believe it's important to put God first in everything we do. What would it look like if before the month got away from you, you set and thought and considered and reflected on where you were? How could you organize instead of Sunday being where we got to go to the mall, we got to get that bought, or we got to run out of town, we got to do that? Like maybe we need to see how important it is that we gather together on Sunday mornings. In fact, that's the first of my week. Used to be that, that, that uh, we would celebrate God on Saturday, the Sabbath. But when Jesus raises from the dead, he raises from the dead on Sunday. It marks the first day of the week. And we celebrate the resurrection and everything that God has provided through Jesus on Sunday now. That's why some people have asked, you know, uh, in the Bible it talks about the, the Sabbath being on like a Saturday. Or that's when they celebrate. Why do we come to church on Sundays? Well, really it's because it represents the resurrection and celebrating who he is at the very first. What better way to start your day? Come on, students, you'd rather just start, sun how many of you'd rather go to school on Sunday morning? Yeah, don't raise your hand. I obviously, you know that's not true. I know I wouldn't want to, you know, I like to be able to start my week right by sharing what I believe is God's heart for you on Sunday. I, I love it. There's no other place I'd rather be on a Sunday morning than right here with my church family. And I want to encourage you, make Sundays a priority in 2018. Make it a priority. Be here. Don't skip for stupid stuff. Be here. Be here. Be a part of the family of God. It's important. It is important. The first of my day. The first of my day. Like I said earlier, we can start the day with this phone if we're not careful and we get carried away. But can I ask this? What is your EMSR? And that's not a certification if you're a nurse or something. That's a, What's your EMSR? Your EMSR basically stands for early morning success ritual, okay? So, so I've got an EMSR written out. It's a one-page document that, that really lines out, if I'm going to be at my best on that day, my day needs to start like this. 
and it includes time of reflection, it includes exercise, it includes Bible reading and devotion, it includes the first words out of my mouth. In fact, it's written down there right after I wake up, thank you, Jesus, I love you, Jesus. I think my day is always better when the first words out of my mouth are, thank you, Jesus, I love you, Jesus. Because it sets my, my tongue in motion of putting him first and being thankful for who he is and what he's done. And thanking him before I even know what this Monday is going to look like. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. What does your, your early morning success ritual look like? What, 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 what if? What if your first breaths and your first thoughts and your first words on a morning were focused on Jesus? We're putting him first. What would that look like? I want to challenge you to, to give him the first 15. Now, if, man, if we, were, if we were a legalistic church, we'd be saying, 15, we need to give him a whole hour if you really want to meet with God. And, and I would say 15 minutes is child's play. It is. It's doable for every person, young and old, in this room. It's doable. But if you've only been giving him nothing, then first 15 might sound like a lot. And I'm just saying... If we can't give him the first 15, is he really God? I'm just not a morning person. Give him the last 15, but there's just something powerful about the first, about setting yourself up for the day. So what if you gave him the first 15? That would be five minutes in the Word, in the Bible. Be reading a chapter, Proverbs of the day, where it's January 8th tomorrow. You could read Proverbs 8. You could read Psalm 8, okay? You could read a chapter in the gospel, about five minutes in the word. And then I, I, I encourage you to, to do five minutes of worship. Where after you read, you take five minutes and just you see, what would it be like instead of, instead of listening to, to Fox and Friends or Morning Joe or whatever it is. That the first five minutes of what you hear is not Kid Craddock in the morning. But it's... You are good, good, so good. You're singing about the beautiful name of Jesus. Or you're listening to someone sing about the beautiful name of Jesus. And, and it, 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 what it does is it calibrates your day. And then five minutes of prayer. Five minutes of prayer. You know how quickly five minutes of prayer can go? Fast. When you start by just adoring him, confessing him, thanking him for stuff. And then asking him for anything you might have. 15, I, I challenge you, take the first 15 of your day in 2018. There's all kinds of resources online, but like I've said, I'm just being real with you. I've had to get away from the online resource that I have. There's tons of them. You can go to Uversion, Y-O-U, Version. It's an app. It's free. There are tons of devotionals on there, uh, Bible translations, probably the single best online uh, uh, resource for you in Bible reading and prayer. I'm, seriously. But to be honest with you, I've had to even step away from my phone because I get too distracted too quick. I just get too, I get too distracted too quick. I gotta, I gotta like, it's called a book. It has got pages in it. And I gotta like read it. It's like, and it's crazy. It doesn't have a screen. Finally, you do those things. Listen, you think about before the race, putting God first. Put him first because he doesn't deserve any other place because he won't take any other place. And then the more you put him first, guess what? Your expectations of God build because you are recognizing what he's done and what he's doing and how he's moved and how he's, how he's conquered and how he's provided. And you see it. The more you put him first, the more you see him. The more you put him first, the more you experience him. The more you put him first, the more you know him. And then you have expectations that God will bless the rest. God will bless the rest, but put him first. It's habit number one. And if you can't get any other habit, I'm telling you, before you're trying to quit smoking, God doesn't care whether you quit smoking or not more than he cares about you spending time with him. You need to hear me on that. And you're thinking that it's a habit. If I stop doing this or I stop doing that. Listen, fellas and ladies, you struggle with pornography? That's a bad habit, a tough habit, an uphill habit to break. Can I tell you, put God first. Put God first. And you'll have the greatest partner that you could ever hope to have. 
in your journey to try and conquer some stuff in your life. I'm going to stop drinking. Put God first. And he'll give you the capacity to get past the pain pills. He'll give you the capacity to get past the stuff. But you got to trust him first. First, 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 first. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight, the Bible says. But it goes on to say, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the basically first fruits, your firsts of everything. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Put him first. He'll take care of the rest, everyone. Put him first. And your marriage can change, seriously. Well, I've been trying to put him first. My marriage hasn't changed a bit. I think you need to go back to the drawing board because I'm not for sure if your definition of putting him first is really the definition. I'm telling you, I've staked my life on this. Like this is, this is what I know to be true. Put him first, stuff in your life will change. Put him first. Would you pray with me? Would you close your eyes, bow your heads? Last few moments we have together, nobody moving around, everybody's still. In fact, Please don't leave this auditorium until Pastor Dan comes and actually gives us the dismissal moment. But in this moment, with your eyes closed and heads bowed, I'm going to ask you, would you put an image in your mind? Would you think about this? Think, think about this. Think of the lobby of a gymnasium. Maybe it's your high school or a, or a college or somewhere you've been in. And can you, can you see a trophy case there close? Think of a trophy case full of the plaques and the pictures and the hanging medals and the trophies and, and the 1997 group and the 2004 group and the, you, you got the golden sneakers and you've got the trophy with a baseball on the top of it and you've got, you, you've got the, the, the plaque that shows all the basketball team that went to the semifinals that year. You've got all those trophies in that case. And now I want you to think about all the things that are important in your life and maybe they're pictures of your family, maybe it's the job, maybe it's health, maybe it's a relationship, and maybe you start seeing where those are, what has prominence in the trophy shelf. And what I want you to see, push all that aside. Put God first. He loves you, he cares about you. No other trophy before him put him first if you're here today and you've not been living a life that puts God first and you say Jeremy I'd like to pray that, that God become first in my life I'm not even really for sure how to do that but I recognize I need him first if, if you'd like me to pray for you and, and you'd, you'd want to be in on this prayer of making God first in our lives if that's you and you say I want Jesus to be the Lord and Savior the first in my life Jeremy, I, Pastor, I'd like you to, to pray over me on that. I'd like to pray with you. If that's you, would you put a hand straight up in the air? No hesitation. I want God to be first in my life. God's first in my life. I need him to be first, and I want you to pray for me, Pastor. Okay. Okay, yeah, yeah, you can put your hands down. In your own words, you simply just say this prayer, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me and being the Lord of my life. I've not put you in that place, even though you are the Lord, whether I see you as the Lord today I make the decision that I step off the throne of my life, first place out of my life. I put whatever trophies at first and I scoot that aside and I say, God, be my Lord and Savior, the center of my life, the focus of my attention. I don't even know exactly what to do next, but I thank you that if I put you first, you'll give me the way to do it. And I trust you to make my path straight. Thank you for dying on the cross for me, which saves me from my sin and gives me a fresh path to take. Thank you for not being mad at me, but for making this day an opportunity for me to put you in first place in my life. You are my Savior. I surrender to you. I put you first. Help me with my next steps. In Jesus' name. Now, with your heads bowed and eyes still closed, if you're here and there's something that has been taking the place that ought to be God and God's alone, if that's you, would, would you put a hand up and I'd love to pray for you and I think there are moments where I have allowed things to get in my life to, to take first place just put a hand up yeah yeah 
you're not alone. You're not alone. I, I see your hand. God loves you and he sees your hand. He loves you so much. You can put your hand down. Father, it's not an easy thing. If it were easy, everybody would simply be putting you first. It is hard because there's so much of self that we've got to get away from. So much bitterness and unforgiveness or habits or junk or our own kind of, of self-righteousness. Like, I got this. I've been doing church for a long time. Or I grew up in the church. Or my daddy was this and my granddaddy. And we've got all this stuff all figured out. We think we've gotten it all figured out because we've been a part of church. But God, we surrender and we put you first yet again. We put you in the place of prominence in our lives. And we thank you. 2018 is going to be the year you are first. We ask it in Jesus' name. The strong son of God. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Come on, put your hands together for those that are making decisions to follow Christ today. Let's stand together. Hey, we're excited for you. And I was, I'm sorry, I, I peeked a little bit. I had my eye, I had one eye open. I was kind of looking. I saw lots of hands go up. Why are we excited about that, guys? Because that's what we pray for. That's it. That is, that is what it's all about, people surrendering their lives to Jesus and making him center. Hey, it's going to be an incredible year for you. How do we know that? Because we're going to start out with prayer. We're going to start out with fasting. You're going to come on Wednesday night where we're going to spend an entire hour worshiping together, fellowshipping together. It's going to be incredible. We're excited about that. Hey, if you made a decision for Christ, sign up for water baptism. On Super Bowl Sunday, man, we're going to baptize people like crazy. It's going to be an awesome time. One last thing. On your way out today, we built these walls all over the place. You can't get to your car unless you climb over one of these walls. I'm just kidding. Some of y'all look scared to death. I'm just kidding. Let me pray over you. May God bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and give you peace. And this year, put Jesus first. You won't regret it. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.